Hello, this is Dr. Casey Bradley, and you're listening to The Real P3, a podcast dedicated to the real pork producers around the world. I hope you enjoy. This week's episode is a recap of 2020 and a highlight of what we expect for 2021 from the creators of The Real P3. It's been a great ride so far, and we look forward to a whole new year of content. Well, happy holidays, Philip. Yes, same to you, uh, Casey. That uh, close to Christmas now, so I know looking... it's a, a few more days, and we can relax. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, huh? but, uh, although it was a strange year, uh, if you look at 2020. But, uh, strange, but optimistic, maybe, right? Yeah, at least different than expected. <laughs> well, for our audience, we wanted to at least have a couple of us to do a special episode, just kind of reflecting on 2020 and where we see 2021. 20- 21 going of course this is going to be around pigs in the swine industry as philip works in the eu and i work in the usa so you'll have two different perspectives on our thoughts of what happened in 2020 and where we're going in 2021 so stay tuned but before that we're going to have a, a quick break for our sponsors we would like to take this break to thank our sponsors the sunswine group nutrisign swine nutrition management, and pig progress. Without their support, this adventure would not be possible. So now back to our episode. So Philip, what what was new or different in 2020 for swine production, swine nutrition that you've noticed? Yeah, if you look at what was uh, really different is actually the development in prices i would say that was the most noticeable for for pig farming i think in the eu we had excellent pig prices in the first nine months of the year and then it completely collapsed and nobody saw this coming and yeah the main reason for that is actually african swine fever situation in in the eu so that had a dramatic effect on our our markets. So so we have uh, a complete different situation at the end of this year for pig farming than than at the start or the middle of this year. Uh, and and then you also see that that yeah the approach is is a bit different. Uh, but also um, yeah that uh, if you look at raw materials and raw material prices that that also developed in a way that uh, yeah raw materials are going up at, at this moment. So uh, if you look at economics, then, then uh, yeah, really different situation at this moment than, than in the start of, of this year. And, and if you look at, at the expectations, then, then for sure uh, the, we are waiting for, for the yeah, next developments and, and see how this will, will develop. So, so uh, yeah, that's always curious to predict the next year and uh, exciting to, to see how... how prices and and raw material prices are developing well great and we just got lucky because vincent joined us and i think either one of you can answer this question so what i understand about african swine fever in the eu it's still only in the wild boar population 
and China is using that against you for export markets, and that's what drove the prices down. Well, it's not only in um, in wild boar populations. You'll find that in Eastern Europe, the odd, you know, mostly smaller farms have also been hit. Not in Germany, as far as I know, and uh, but yeah. In other countries like uh, Poland or Romania, it does happen that that the old um, swine swine farm is being hit. From what I hear is that it doesn't matter uh, what happens as soon as there is African swine fever in in a country. That's a reason for China to block all trade. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what you see. That's been what they've been doing all the time everywhere. So there's consistency in that policy, so to say. Well, I think it's interesting, even from the U.S. perspective, you know, COVID has impacted us and we can get that in in later, but African swine fever from a nutrition perspective has totally changed what nutritionists and veterinarians are talking about. And we've really centered our conversations around feed biosecurity, Um, not only feed ingredients, but going into your feed mills and how can you control that vector in itself for biosecurity. So most farms are very biosecure, but we know that people are always our challenge. But now they're really coming up with some ingredients that can control the virus if it gets in the feed, like to warn our audience so that even though this is great and some of these ingredients can improve performance in our animals as well, that's not the only vector that African swine fever will enter your herds. And if you're concerned about feed biosecurity, I hope you're really ramping up other biosecurity but that's just what i've noticed from a nutrition perspective that everybody's coming up with a feed mitigation strategy some are you know talking about total kill um, of the virus dr scott d has done a lot of work on that area and then others are trying to also create ingredients or strategies to help animals during infection overcome this quicker so that's what i've noticed because of African swine fever and the fear of it coming to the United States and Canada, we've really looked at all vectors of biosecurity. A lot of producers are quarantining or holding any ingredient for 30 to 60 days in a warehouse that includes premixes. So when we look into a lot of the strategies we've done um, to help mitigate this fear of vitamins or premixes or even other ingredients being a vector for African swine fever. We've caused some other problems. I've heard, you know, vitamin stability issues, low vitamin reports, um, lameness and things are creeping in. So there's always an effect, I guess, right? Uh, What's the reaction? Uh, It's it's Monday. (laughs) But can I I ask you a question? I I find it uh, typical that um, there is a lot of attention for feed mitigation strategies when it comes down to African swine fever virus, but only in the United States I, or in Canada. But I haven't heard anybody in Europe making that such a big issue. How come that North America seems to be focused on that so much? Well, I think that's because of Pipestone and Dr. Scott D and maybe some of our some of the, I guess, the other experts, but they're not looking just at African swine fever. He's used PERS and the model PED, some of those other viruses that we deal with more so than even Europe. So there are some benefits to this mitigation strategy. If you think PERS is coming into your system and just like PED, they thought it was coming through the feed and porcine plasma 
back when it came out. I remember the phone call on uh, vitamins from supposedly a source in the White House or Homeland Security that uh, PED came in on the vitamins and, you know, pulling samples back in the day at Comeback Feeds looking into that route. So I think it's been PED is what drove that for us. Um, and that mindset of feed could be a source. And I'm not going to say that feed can't be a vector, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of processes in there that could be. But, you know, I've heard some of the mitigation strategies we've developed in the U.S. and China and Asia and Philippines are really using some of those strategies potentially as ways to combat African swine fever because they can't get it, you know, can't get rid of it. But then you hear Dr. Wayne Johnson that spoke on one of our episodes about, you know, dealing post-China with African swine for fever. They don't have it gone. I mean, it's still there in their herds. But now because of poor management or trying to ramp back up, they're bringing other diseases in, you know, through breeding terminal guilts and things like that. So obviously our best strategy is to keep it out. And I think the U.S. realizes that if it hit... Um, we do have a wild boar populations that's out of control for one thing. So it's really would be a challenge, I think, with the dynamics of our pig flows in our, in the United States from East to West and, you know, having a central corridor for, you know, terminal pigs and, and slaughterhouses. I think it would, once it's here, it would be like wildfire and it would be hard to control. If I look at it from a European point of view, I really believe indeed that the American situation is more based on PED and experiences with that than actually on the African swine fever. Uh, And of course, the ideas developed on the PED are are, copy-paste actually to to the African swine fever in in the US. Luckily, in in the EU, we don't have the experience with with the PED, so it's difficult for us as European people to, to tell a lot of stories about it. As far as I know, and I think that is what most nutritionists uh, think over here in the EU, that there is not a lot of proof that that those viruses are actually really transported via feed or feed ingredients itself. And it's less likely on the uh, probability list. So I think what we are focusing on is is in in the EU is, yeah, look at the... Highest on your list is is transporting pigs, uh, so that you transport the virus. Then actually biosecurity on farm, but also biosecurity on feed mills uh, with with trucks and biosecurity on loading pigs and cleaning and disinfecting all those trucks actually at slaughterhouses. And I think on on that area we put our focus and if you look at how many commercial farms modern commercial farms are hit with the african swine fever in eastern europe i think that is very limited so if you are doing those things very very well and of course employees eh, and and showering in showering out but if you are doing those things very well then i think your risk is is very limited so I think other biosecurity reasons are much higher on the probability list. And, and, and that is how we look at it at this moment in the EU, I would say. 
I want to ask a question too, because maybe either one of you may know the market share in the EU because I've been asked this and I can't speak on the EU, but how, what's the percentage of pig diets that are containing medium chain fatty acids, organic acids, and then some of these phytochemicals? I mean, are you in Europe from what I understood when I worked at DSM, Vivo Vital was very popular Denmark, Netherlands for ammonia control um, from that aspect of organic acids. But, and then I worked at Perina and the connection with new science. I know new science is, you know, based in Europe and things and they're promoting their medium chain fatty acid products as well. So from a European standpoint, feed diets, Philip, do you have a grasp on them? The percentage that contains some of these ingredients already? Yeah. If you look at, at actually it starts with, with, um, the use of growth promoters or the antibiotic use. Huh? And as you know, actually, um, those the use of growth promoters is banned in, in the EU. Uh, the use of antibiotics in feed is, is rapidly going down. And in the Netherlands, for example, it's, it's zero in feed uh, use of antibiotics. So, so actually, if you want to use something because a group of pigs is ill, actually, then you have to treat them via water medication. And then actually from a nutrition point of view, you look to alternatives. And the alternatives are divided then in groups. Uh, so, so acidification of the diet, prebiotics, probiotics, enzymes, and, and uh, phytogenic products, and, and for example, the short-chain fatty acid or medium-chain uh, fatty acid. So we, we look at groups. And if you look at the big group, then, then for sure it's acidifiers. So that's the number one group. But also there, if you look at uh, acidifiers as an example, and, and you look into diets, then if you look at piglet feed after weaning, 100% uh, of the diets contain acidifiers to acidify the stomach, to help to acidify the stomach, and part of those acidifiers, different ones, as an antibiotic, uh, or as an antibacterial, sorry, sorry as an antibacterial uh, mode of action. If you look at finishing pigs, those diets are not containing acidifiers. If you look at gestation feed, they are not con uh, containing acidifiers. Lactation feed, I would say 30% of the cases are containing a small amount of acidifiers. So pro per diet, it's really different. And, and I also have to say, Zinc is on our nomination to go out in, in the EU. So, so that will happen in 2022. And if that happens, then all those products, the alternatives are again going up in, in use. But primarily still in only that nursery diet. Yeah. Yeah. Especially there. Yeah. And formaldehyde is not something really used in the EU from what I understand. No. It's not allowed. So I, I definitely think some of these technologies are coming from Europe, coming to the U.S., and you're using it to replace antibiotics and using it to replace zinc oxide, and we're probably just learning and using it as a different approach. We're finding uh, other benefits that maybe you had hidden benefits all along. Vincent, any thoughts from you on you know global feed additives and strategies versus the U.S.? I wouldn't be able to comment on that. I'm not an expert on, on feed additives. Uh, I, I think Philip is better qualified to answer that question. Okay. 
So Vincent, from your perspective, besides African swine fever, maybe we could try to find something positive in the swine industry. Anything yeah. positive that came out of 2020? It's hard to say. I think maybe at this moment, we don't know the exact outcomes yet. But for instance, it brought us back to trying to deal with this new situation. And I think a lot of developments went a lot faster. Myself, I wasn't really keen on having business conversation through Skype, for instance, or Microsoft Teams, or you name it. And I had the feeling that the majority of people would prefer just your phone call, for instance, than doing things through through, through these kinds of communication services. At least that's my, my experience. Maybe it was different in the, in the US, but uh, I have the feeling that all of a sudden those kinds of things happen very fast. And now everybody's completely uh, happy with it and I think that kind of developments will continue and will take on board all the things that we've learned during the corona crisis and that will extend beyond just the way of communicating. But by the time that we'll go back to normal, so to say, I think, uh, yeah, you'll notice that the whole world has been through this and take that in in their bags, I think. Philip, anything positive for 2020 in your mind? Yeah, if, if, if I look and it, it's, it's related to what Vincent said, uh, the speed of, of sharing knowledge has become incredible. That, that is where in the past actually um, people are traveling to, to go somewhere to bring something, but also to learn there something. Uh, and, and nowadays it's, it's going via these webinars and, and, and video calls and, and it's amazing quick. So I think the speed of, of innovation, the speed of implementing things, sharing knowledge, that has become incredible. And like we just discussed a bit about US and Europe, uh, it, it's completely different continents with a completely different approach and maybe more differences between pig farming than, than comparisons. Uh, but on the other hand, the pig stays a pig. But I think that we can share this knowledge, how things are going, uh, what we are doing, what is positive and what you should not do. We can really learn from each other. And that has speeded up tremendously. No, I would agree. I, I think the best thing of 2020 is the fact that we're sitting here talking on a call for the real P3. I mean, we mm-hmm. it was great to reconnect with old friends and have a new idea of that sharing information and connecting in a different way. Of course, 2020, some can say it was bad. Some can say it was good. I'm going to stick with that. Even out of the worst situation pre-COVID of losing my job and not knowing what I was going to do, I think, you know, the Sunswine Group, the Real P3, has probably been the best thing in the you know let's just make it the mark of the next decade of where does it go next and the positive portrait we're hopefully we're bringing to the industry by sharing knowledge and connecting people i would agree to that we've been doing a lot of webinars we've been doing that for the last five years i think but especially in the last three months of the year all of a sudden things went off like that and i kind of found myself in the car going to the studio again and again and again and yeah, in the past, that was once every two months or so, and now it's just like three, four times a month. So, yeah, that's really gone up because there is still a desire from many people in the industry to communicate with each other, as Philip also said. 
Well, and I also yes, think... And, and the difference in that, in my opinion, is that uh, in the past, that was also still more local. Huh? You went to a meeting and, and you meet other local people that you actually would already know. If you look at webinars, it's a webinar around the world. I will be curious to figure out what it will be like by the time that the well, normal life could pick up again. Because one thing you cannot do is just informally socialize having a drink together. Those kinds of things you would find that face-to-face uh, -face meetings are more suitable for that. But at the same time, yeah, we don't know what kind of uh, new developments will stay, so to say. No, I, I definitely, so ending 2020 on a positive note, uh, Dr. Steve Patterson had passion for the pigs in Missouri. We had a live meeting and it was weird <laughs> after, you know, nine months in quarantine. And, but yeah, it was really nice to see people together. We were all safe, spread out. Of course, it wasn't as many people as normal but they did a really great job of combining safety, information, and networking in one event. So I really hope the rest of the industry can take that example moving forward that we can get back together in person. But I also hope it, a lot of people say that this new COVID lockdown has been bad for families or working moms. But I think it's also given us an excuse to maybe want to slow down on travel. Maybe we don't always have to go somewhere in person and we can maybe balance work in you know, life better around that. And I, I feel like that I was able to do that this year. Yeah, but uh, what I also really hope for, for 2021 is that the social part is coming back. And I also believe that that is really important for our mental health. On another note, on um, the positive note for 2021, um, it looks like, as from the end of January, there will be a new president in the United States. How has that been? Well, has that been welcomed in the United U.S. pig industry, and what do you expect to happen? The great thing is, is the USDA Secretary of Ag is Vilsack, so we didn't have a lot of negative policies under him. But what's concerning could be the EPA and then, of course, John Kerry as the climate change uh, person. John Kerry is not an expert on climate change. He's a career politician. And we already know that from the Democratic side of things that there's this massive push against animal agriculture from the perceived methane emissions. More so probably targeting cattle, but yet it's going to trickle down into that and there's also talk of re you know visiting the farm bill long-term changing the subsidy structures around that but if you look over the last few years um even with subsidies for ethanol that since uh was it 2008 through 2010 uh, you had high corn prices but it's been fairly low lately and you know so there's always a balance between pork and the grain inputs of, you know, everybody being able to make money. So, you know, I think we'll be fairly safe. We still don't know who's going to control the Senate. So in January that, uh, you know, if the Republicans win in Georgia, I think we could stabilize a conservative approach somewhat and not have too much of this far left policy coming in. But I think we're worried a little bit about, you know, what's going to happen from 
more the climate change, the requirements. The other thing that's happening is trial against California. I can't remember all the details, but their Prop 10, ultimately because of Prop, not 10 or 12, sorry, in California, they're forcing other states to change all their sow housing over to meet the California requirements. Their square footage to finish out a pig is just crazy ridiculous because they put all phases So there's a lot of push against that to stop that impacting how we raise pigs in the rest of the country. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. And so, but I do know from an, if you're a builder in the swine industry, everybody's converting over to help meet those mandates, at least from a sow perspective. So there's a lot of talk, but at the same time, lenders aren't so keen on giving money, if that makes sense as well. So if you're depends on your debt to income ratio and how much you're leveraged in your system, if you're going to convert or not. I've heard, you know, because of the COVID prices and and those issues around pork prices, South Farms especially going um, under, and then we have reduction in South population. So I still don't know exactly from everything I read and see and, and talk to people what 2021 is going to look like, but I think there'll be some more attrition and consolidation for sure, because I don't foresee us getting massive spikes in pork prices to, to withstand some of this. And, you know, a lot of them has been in red most of the year and have had challenges as well. So, you know, soybean meal costs went up. It'd be interesting to see what that keeps doing, uh, looking into Brazil crops and, and things like that. So, you know, if soybean meal keeps high, that could be another challenging or opportunity for the industry to look at. So there's a lot, a lot of moving parts of how that's going to happen. And obviously with the change administration, even exports um, could be in favor again. And, and maybe that barrier in China will go down a little bit, but time, I guess time will tell. If you look at uh, different welfare levels in the U S or different square meters per pig uh, are farms getting paid a bonus for that or or how is that working for the most part not i mean if you can get in the niche market on some of those facilities you know there are some niche markets that you know have turnaround farrow installs you know big group pens more square footage per sow but they're really not getting bonuses on it for the cost to offset the equipment and the extra square footage of building facilities to meet that standard. So that's the biggest problem is, you know, where's those extra dollars going to come from. And then at the same time, we're having this push that we're essentially going to need to reduce our emissions even further. So there's a fine balance, I think between that. And then if you look at a welfare standpoint, you know, we have a sow mortality issue in the U.S. that we need to get under control regardless of government mandates and different things like that. And so I think that's where we really need to focus in. And do you hope and expect that in the supermarkets where people are buying their meat that this will be recognized or branded for or... or like like we have actually we have uh, our meat is a one star a two star or three star so actually consumers can choose themselves if they want to better buy a higher welfare quality meat or or actually that they want to go for a cheaper meat 
what we do have, you expect in the U.S.? Or do you have something like that? Or? We have brands. Every It's all about labeling and brands and where you buy that. The Nyman Ranch, the uh, Never Ever Raised Without Antibiotics. You can find those products more so maybe not in a Walmart, but, you know, Whole Foods type market. What's interesting, um, when COVID hit and the pork disappeared off the shelves, a lot of people turned to smaller producers looking at buying. So I've heard a lot of talk and even um, a friend here in the area, they can't keep pork supplied um, from the smaller niche markets. So I think it's interesting some of the things I've read and heard that people are going back and sourcing more local you know, the local butcher shops are full. You have, I mean, there's a waiting line to get animals in, in these smaller butcher shops. And then hearing something coming out of Indiana of looking at, you know, meat lockers, similar to Amazon lockers and things. And, you know, with that Muncie meats, trying to do something like that. So I think there's a pivot here as well in the U S that we'll still have that commercial cheap food, but I, I bet in 2021, 2022 we're going to see some of these niche markets and these niche brands take off and people are staying home and cooking more and so people are are learning more and so i hope there gives you know that smaller producers still have the, a fighting chance to pivot and do something different on some of that branding but we don't have necessarily a government labeled welfare like we do quality well, neither neither do do we over here. I mean, the the, um, the label initiative, as it exists in the Netherlands, is a is a an initiative by certain animal welfare organisations, and and well, the market has jumped into it, but it is nothing nothing organised by government. But I think it's been working fairly well, and it's also been pushed by um, well, public advertising to kind of make all the retailers, at least for the fresh meat side, to join in with this. Uh, this initiative. So normally, if you go to a normal retailer here, every every piece of meat at least has one star, meaning that the basic level of welfare is slightly above what what could be considered conventional. But my my question is because the issue that you're raising is pretty much universal. I think that when pork producers are being paid for their their meat. Um, well, I think what's been causing some distress here is that farmers feel that they don't get paid enough, that in order to um, make sure that they comply with all kinds of environmental regulations, with welfare regulations, you name it, and they actually need to be paid more in order to be able to invest in it and make sure that they can deliver. And they feel themselves there, trapped between, on one hand, retailers who won't like to keep the price as low as possible to be able to uh, say to their uh, clients, listen, we need to, uh, we, we can offer uh, minced meat or uh, pork chops or whatever for a really decent price, come to the, come and visit us. Yet at the same time, the, the pork producers are under a lot of stress, stress to make sure that, that, that they comply with all the regulations. And I think now there is a growing awareness that something needs to be done to make sure that pork producers actually get paid more decently for the thing they produce. And my, in my perspective, this is something the market cannot solve. Because if you leave it to the market, you will always have that the pork producers get paid to not enough money. So 
Um, and I'm curious to see where the market is developing after COVID, because as soon as there is more availability of cheap meats again, you might find that everybody is going to slide back into the into their old pattern. And again, it comes down to that question: Okay, what what will stay from the lessons that we've learned during the COVID crisis? No, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think that's the revolving door of agriculture, and, and pork is not any different than any other species or commodity, but, you know, getting paired, they want all this and yet they don't pay for it. And, you know, I think there is going to need to be a trade-off. There's talk at least a little closer for for all of you in Europe that you're going to have carbon credits and maybe that comes into play to help on that, but it, it is going to be a challenge. And so, and how do you pivot? And I've always even had this challenge because most people would see a pig out in dirt and think that's a happier, healthier pig than a pig in a crate. Right. And we all know that that's two different managing management strategies. I've raised pigs out on dirt. I've had litters. I've had to deal with pigs dying, not just because of poor management or poor health, but because of the environment, somebody training and letting their dogs loose to kill pigs, you know, natural predators. So all of those things you have to deal with. And then, you know, we look at going inside where they get, you know, individual care, they're warm, they're clean. We can clean up after them better. And so I, even, I think it's just this change in mindset of the consumer of what's ideal. And uh, it's going to create, I think, a problem to where meat's not going to be affordable in the future unless like you said somebody fixes it by giving pain more and is that subsidies because ultimately the consumer pays for it right it's not it, it, somebody pays for that to help the, those producers out and if we get more and more restrictions and costs go up of meat who who are we going to starve right who's going to go without food and so I think it's a fine balance that we all have to walk in, but we all need to be a part of that conversation. We need to be open-minded. Um, the same with the politicians that they sit down with us and really it's a complex problem. We all need to work on together for a solution. And what in my opinion is nice on the star principle that we have here in the Netherlands is at least that the you give the consumers a choice of freedom. They can choose if they want to have the cheaper meat or they can choose if they want to buy today the higher welfare or the higher environment meat. And that is a bit more expensive. And what I hope in, in 2021 that is going to be solved is actually that a strong opinion of a small minority is actually pushing you into a certain corner. And I think that is putting a lot of stress on, on pig farmers also, because they have to feel all the time that they have to comply with all the maximum standards. And in my opinion, that is not the case and it should not be the case. Because there are different markets that want to, to have uh, products. Huh? In, in a uh, first world country, welfare might be very important, but in a, a third world country, it, it's just they want to have meat on the table. And that, that's a different story. And, and I, I think that as pig producers that we uh, are able to find a solution for that and really supply all the different markets at, at a 
fair price. And, and I agree with Vincent is that the struggle between uh, supermarkets and, and farmers, that, that is a big struggle. But hopefully via differentiation in the supermarket, we can at least make clear what we produce and what the consumer is paying for it and what they should pay for it. And I hope in 2021 that, that especially that development is, is yeah, going to be better and, and for sure a lot of pig farmers will think that it should be more honest. Well, great feedback. Um, we're probably running out of time for this recording, but in closing, any last comments for our audience? Well, I've been following the African swine fever situation in Europe, and I just hope that the situation will stay as it is in eastern Eastern Germany. But I'm not 100% optimistic about that because there's heavy pressure in, on the Polish side of the border. So I think there will be a continuous pressure of virus towards Germany. So even when Germany would deal with it fairly well, they will there will continue to be new waves of, of virus coming in. So I truly hope that they manage to kind of keep the virus out by building a good fence and good defenses and everything, but it won't be, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, what I hope for for 2021 is that we all stay very healthy and the pigs and the people. And it has been a pity that we are struggling with two viruses uh, over here and hopefully uh, things are, are solved on that area and, and uh, a vaccine uh, might be a way out for COVID. For African swine fever, I think it's even more difficult than, than that. So I'm much more optimistic about the COVID actually to, to get that one solved and not in the next week, but, but hopefully in, in three, four months from, from now. Um, African swine fever will stay a concern, I'm afraid, yeah. Well, my hope for 2021 is we learn something for Operation Warp Speed on the COVID for the humans, and we can take some of that same technology and maybe apply it towards African swine fever, and we can get control of all these viruses. But for our audience, thank you so much for the support this year. Please keep listening in 2021. If you'd like to be a guest on our episode, um, please let me know. Uh, you can reach me on the website www.therealp3.com and you can fill out a form there and we'll get back to you on interviewing for us but as philip said stay happy healthy and safe and god bless you all and happy holidays before we go today i just wanted to thank our sponsors again the sunswine group nutrisign swine nutrition management and pig progress Thank you for listening, and if you get a chance, hug a pig today for me.